0: All right, you know, we've uh, we started a study of the Book of Mark last week. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff to go over for the next quarter or two. Unfortunately, I didn't get it. we don't have handouts because it's just too much. Um, if you want to go to the website that I use for those uh, um, handouts, you can go to executableoutlines.com. It's all one word. Uh, or you can just Google it, and you can get to them, and there's a lot of stuff. That's, that's where I usually get these outlines. Uh, I do add to them. Not, that's not the only thing I go on, but you can get basically what you need from there. <clears throat> Saw a sign the other day that said, <clears throat> yeah. respect your parents. They got through school without Google. Yeah. And you remember that? We actually went through school and did things without the internet. How in the world do we do that? And we actually had to get this typewriter out. Remember that? When we did a term paper, I, I could plug money in the wall. I know some of you had to peck at it because you didn't have an electric one. And then if you messed up, you just had to rip the paper out and throw it in the trash can. And by the time you got the return paper, you had about 50 pages sitting in the trash can. And then you read it, and you still had stuff that was wrong in there, and you had to get the white out. You remember that? (laughs) Anyways, I digress. All right. Um, You can be opening up your Bibles to the first chapter, Mark. And we are going to begin there. Uh, We began last week with the... Beginning of of chapter 1 where we talked about the beginning, Mark's writing about the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And we read through some things. We're going to continue that today. Beginning in verse 14 where it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Interesting two verses there. But we're going to get into that even more today. What, what, what followed John the Baptist was the beginning of Jesus' gospel. It, t- it, starts, it, starts, uh, it starts after John the Baptist is imprisoned, right? He was the forerunner, as we talked about last week. It began in Capernaum, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, in the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. This was his public ministry, preaching a gospel of the kingdom of God. What was this message that he proclaimed? What what was he talking about here? What is the kingdom of God? Well, we've had many lessons on this before, and it's an interesting concept. It's something that's probably misunderstood at times, but let's go back and just read in the Old Testament some stuff about it. Turn over to Daniel chapter 2, and let's just read about this kingdom of God that was foretold in the book of Daniel, foretold about in the book of Daniel. Chapter 2 and... uh, Verse 44, Daniel says, or his vision is that in the days of those kings, the God of heaven, actually this is when he's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is a prophecy of the kingdom of God what Jesus is proclaiming, what Jesus is preaching about. Turn over to Daniel chapter 7. Let's see another uh, couple of verses about this. Daniel chapter 7. And I'll give you a minute to get there. (coughs) Daniel chapter 7. and And we're going to begin in verse 13. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Here we have a prophecy of Jesus. Daniel talking about the Son of Man. He's seen, the coming of the ancient of days has informed him of this. He's going to establish his kingdom that will not be destroyed, that will last forever. And now we have Jesus in Capernaum beginning his ministry, preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Well, what is this kingdom of God exactly? What are we talking about here? Few few characteristics of it we might think of is it's it's talking about God's sovereignty or his kingship or his ability to have the authority, right, It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual one. It's the kind of kingdom that the the Jews used to use as an abstract idea or a rule of dominion, they would say, right? Not a geographical area. In other words, we know about it in the New Testament as he's ruling in our hearts, okay? He's ruling here. It's not a physical kingdom. And it's visible today, how? In the church, right? We see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God visible on earth in the church. Remember when Jesus in John 18, when he's before Pilate and Pilate says, Are you a king? And he says, It is as you say, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a spiritual one. His kingdom is of the spirit, not of the flesh, and not of this world, not geographic. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16 and let's read that about the church and how that becomes interchangeable with the kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. <clears throat> he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this is after Peter has proclaimed that he is the Jesus, he is the Messiah, he's the son of God, Right? And, and Jesus says, upon that, upon that, my church will be built. My kingdom will be built. Okay? We have this prophesied. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Let's read something else about that kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul writes, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins this is the kingdom of god that we are part of kingdom of heaven we are part of it jesus is reigning in his kingdom now it's a now. now you may have had a discussion with someone uh, we've talked about this in the past someone who's a premillennialist who thinks that jesus is going to return to earth and and going to reign on earth for a thousand years. And they might have said to you, the kingdom has not come. And they might have even said that Jesus came to be king of the Jews. And he was rejected. Therefore, he established church went back to heaven to wait for another day. I've heard that. That's been taught. I don't believe that. I believe the kingdom came in on the day of Pentecost. And I understand that it was coming soon. Because Jesus says over and over and over, as well as the apostles, the disciples, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was near. It was coming soon. Interesting concept, right? This was spoken by Jesus, Paul, and Peter. It also has a future element. Turn over to Matthew 25, and let's read something else that's said by the Lord. Matthew chapter 25, and beginning in verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So, not only is this kingdom existing now and in the form of the church as we see it on earth, but it's also in the future. When we are judged, if we are found worthy, we will be inheriting the kingdom of God. We will be in that eternal place in heaven. So, it has a present form in the church and it has a future form. In heaven, this is this kingdom of God that Jesus was portraying. <coughs> Acts two, we understand that it came on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Jesus said, "I leave now, and I leave. I'm comfort. I'll send you a comforter to help you." And on that day, the Spirit descended upon them. Um, they had the tongues of fire right above them. They spoke with the tongues, so that all could understand who they were. And this this uh, kingdom came in. All right, on the day of Pentecost. The kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming. We understand that the apostles were doing this too. The disciples were preaching about it. They were involved in uh, the preaching. Uh, Philip, remember, preaching the things concerning the kingdom in Acts 8 when he went to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, we have those who, uh, Paul, writing in, as, in the nature of it. In fact, uh, he wrote in Romans about the nature of the kingdom. Then in 1 Corinthians he talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom. In uh, 1 Corinthians, he also the giving of the kingdom to God when he returns. Uh, how flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. How we are in the kingdom now, Colossians 1, we just read. His companions as fellow workers for the kingdom in Colossians 4. He talks about how we might be counted worthy of the kingdom in 2 Thessalonians 1.5. Uh, uh, Paul talks about God calling us into the kingdom and glory Second 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2 and Jesus judging us at his appearing and his kingdom. Hebrews, James, Peter, all the writers wrote about this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven that Jesus said was at hand. But there is a little bit of a difference in our message today. In fact, that's a quick question. Should we be preaching about the kingdom of God today? Should we? No. The disciples were doing it afterwards. The apostles were doing it after. So yeah, most certainly, we should be preaching about this kingdom of God. When we are baptized into Christ, when we are raised with newness of life, we are now children of God. We are servants of the king of this kingdom that Daniel prophesied about. That's going to last forever. Have you ever thought about that? You are part of a kingdom that's going to last forever. No into to it kind of hard to grasp though isn't that it's kind of hard to grasp but infinity but it's true it's in the word it's very scriptural should we be preaching that today of course we should but after the ascension of christ the preaching of the kingdom proclaimed was no longer to be said it's at hand it's now present and in the future those who gladly receive the message are added by the lord himself to that kingdom right Those who persevere to the end will inherit that heavenly and everlasting kingdom of our Lord. So in our talks with folks, we should talk about the kingdom is now existing. It's no longer at hand. It's here. Here and now. And it's also future. You can inherit it now by believing in him, repenting, confessing, being baptized into him. That's how we get into that kingdom. And it's also future. In the end, we'll be judged based on what we've done what a glorious thing right what a glorious concept yeah it's probably a little bit harder to see it because it's not physical it's not in the flesh it's in our hearts but it exists it is there and as a christian that's something you should ponder you should think about the fact that you are part of a kingdom out throughout history what what did people want They had the king. They had somebody they could look to, help with their problems, tell them what to do, sometimes execute them. (laughs) But they had some kind of order there, right? They had a law. They had civility because of a kingdom, a kingship. And they provided a defense against attackers, right? They provided a way for people to be defended. To have a hope that I'm going to be secure. Kingdom of heaven, we have all that. We don't have to worry. And Revelation tells us we are victorious. We've already won the battle. We've already won the war, actually. Not just the battle, the war. What a glorious concept, right? What a glorious way to think about it. John the Baptist and, his, and Jesus and his disciples proclaimed that kingdom at hand. But now the good news is that the kingdom is here. And we are part of it. The rule of God is now manifested in Jesus. Those who gladly receive his message are added. Those who persevere to the end will receive an ever, uh, the reward of being part of the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. What a, what a great thing, right? But is this all that Jesus proclaimed? Is this all he talked about? Is this all he preached? Well, it's the major part of it. That kingdom of God is at hand. But he also said some other things that went along with it, right? Like, uh, he called people to repent. Huh. Well, that's an interesting concept. He called people to believe. And you got to believe if you want to be part of this kingdom. That's not physical, right? You can't see him in the flesh. You can read about him in the flesh and those who saw him in the first century. But we know he has now ascended at the right hand of God, reigning in the kingdom that we are all a part of. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 7 and let's read something there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Beginning in verse um, 8. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I was perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. What did I just read there about there? This repentance thing, right? How does it come about? Well, Paul says it comes through sorrow, through godly sorrow, through the understanding that I am a sinner and I have sinned against God. Therefore, I need to do something. I need to repent. Repentance is not sorrow. Paul talks about repent, uh, sorrow leading to repentance. Some people confuse that. Some people think, well, I'm sorry for what I did. Okay, I've repented. Eh, a lot of people can feel sorry for something and not change the way they're doing. You know what? Ever had a kid? <laughs> I'm sorry. And then they go out and do it again, and again, and again, and again. They didn't repent. They just said what you wanted them to hear. They know what you want to hear, right? That's very different. Prenance is also not something else. It's not conversion. took us over to Acts chapter 3. Let's read something there. Acts chapter 3, and verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, so did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Something else that repentance is not is conversion. It's not a turning to God. It's a simple changing of the mind of the heart. And then it should cause you to turn to God, change your life, change your thinking, changing everything about yourself to give yourself over to God, to trust in Him. A lot of people think, well, I just, I believe, I change my mind. But they don't live a life that shows it, right? They don't think about it that way. Do we need to preach repentance today? Yes. Jesus did it, Paul did it, Peter did it, all the apostles did it. Whenever there is a proclaiming of the kingdom of God, there has to be a proclaiming of all those who want to be part of it to repent. It has to be. You cannot be in the kingdom. You cannot be in the presence of God. You cannot be able to be considered a child if your whole life is living in sin. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. You're in the flesh. You're not perfect. It's going to happen. But when you have repented, your whole goal now is to serve him, to please him, to live a life according to the way Jesus lived his life, become a disciple. And that changes things tremendously. The world kind of doesn't like that, does it? The world doesn't like the way you have to live as a Christian. Oh, they like the Savior part, you know, or, or the, 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 the baby Jesus coming in and being born. They like that part, and they like the part where he talks to the sinners, shows them love and compassion because he loves them, and they like the part where he dies for them and us. But when it comes to the Lordship part, eh, yeah. That's not so good. Oh, I got to change the way I live? I got to be more like him? Ah, huh. Back in uh, June, you know, they, we got this thing now where, I guess it's, I don't know if it. I mean, we don't. But the media and all that proclaim Pride Month, right? We got a whole month now dedicated to sin. Isn't that something? And there's a certain, um, Jolene's probably going to hate me for doing this, but there's a certain celebrity that she follows on Facebook, not because she's a celebrity worshiper, because she knows this person. When she was a teenager, she got to meet her, and they spent some time together. Actually went to a couple events together, and so she follows her on there. And during Pride Month, this person decked out in her rainbow colors and was saying how she supported the, you know, Pride Month or whatever. And she's kind of considered a wholesome person, right? She's got a, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? An air of of wholesomeness to her when she's on TV or whatever. I'm not going to name names. You can probably figure it out. But (laughs) she got blasted for it. People on Facebook or wherever, maybe it was Twitter, I don't know. We're just blasting her for doing that, you know, because a lot of people that follow her, people don't like that. And then she puts on there, wow, I can't believe all these people are blasting me for this. And then she says, what would Jesus do? And when, I, when she showed me that, I said, what? <laughs> you see, that's what the world thinks. We need to be compassionate to the people who are homosexuals or whatever, sinners. But they don't want to tell them, oh, but you need to repent. You can't keep doing that. Turn over to John chapter 8. Read a passage here that you, I know you're very familiar with. But I wanted to read this, and this might be something that you could use if someone ever talks to you about this, right? Because Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and, and taught them. Then the scribes of the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They're trying to trick him. They know that you can have mercy. They know that uh, this doesn't have to be this way. They're trying to. In fact, if, obviously she was with a man. The man should have been stoned too. But they're not bringing him up there, right? So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Verse 6. They, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he did not hear So when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up and said to them, He's without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. Now, you ever had somebody of the world throw that at you? He was without sin. Let him throw the stone first. Well, I've heard it. And that's true. We're all sinners. But then what else does he do? And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those heard it, you can be convicted by their conscience, went out by one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one con- condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. There's that compassion There's that love. He knows she needs a Savior. He knows that. And he's saying, I don't condemn you. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. But notice the last part of that verse. Go and sin no more. What did he tell her? You got to repent. Yeah, I love you. I don't condemn you. These people were trying to trick me. It's about me. It's not about you. She didn't understand that, obviously. But he says to her, I don't condemn you either. But in the end, you got to repent. You can't keep doing this. So through his compassion and his love for her, yeah, he's not condemning her, but he's telling her the truth, and he's telling her, because of my love for you, you got to change or you're going to be judged. So, what would Jesus do? He'd say, "Yeah, I love you. I love you. I created you. You are not to be condemned. You are to be taught the truth. You are to be under, you are to be preached the kingdom of God." And as part of that, you got to repent. The world don't like that. That's something that has to be preached every time. What about belief? Well, of course it does. You got to believe. You got to have faith. That's what pleases him, right? Abraham believed, therefore, is considered in him to be righteousness. That has to be a part of it: belief and repentance. And that's what Jesus was preaching. Well, here we have this kingdom. To get in that kingdom, we got to believe and we got to repent pretty simple there in John 8 turn over to uh, verse 24 actually 23 and he says and he said to them you are from beneath I am from above you are of this world I am not of this world therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins for if you did not believe that I am he you will die in your sins pretty simple right you got to believe and you got to repent we need to proclaim that kingdom of God to those who are lost. We need to proclaim repentance, you've got to change your life, and we need to proclaim that heartfelt faith, heartfelt belief in the Creator of the universe. All right, well let's move on to Mark there. Back to chapter one, beginning of verse 16. It says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make, and I will make you become fishers of men. They had immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. All right. So here we have Jesus. He's now proclaiming proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he begins to do something. He starts calling people to follow him, offering to make them fishers of men. We have the first disciples described here: two sets of brothers, four fishermen who later become apostles. Simon and Andrew and John, we read about them being the sons of Jonah from Bethsaida in Galilee. They were fishermen by trade. They are actually partners with James and John. You can read that in, in Luke 5. They have a call to discipleship. Turn over to John chapter 1. Let's read about that. John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 35. (laughs) And again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is John the Baptist. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called. Cephas which is translated a stone here we have Andrew following John John tells him who Jesus is the one he's coming and he follows him and he brings Peter to meet him in fact Andrew brings the others too Andrew's trying to figure things out he thinks he's found it he thinks he's found the Messiah and he brings others in he's already evangelizing you might say Call while fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Turn over to Luke chapter 5, and let's read about that. Luke chapter 5, beginning verse verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they have done this, they, they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do you not be afraid? From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Both of these, Simon and Andrew, became part of, became apostles. They actually became part of that inner circle, right? Uh, well, Peter did anyways. Simon, Peter, James, and John. Peter is well known for his denial, remember, at the end. And he is a key figure in the first half of, the, of Acts and the writer of two epistles. Pretty important dude, right? We read about him right here at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Andrew is known for introducing people to Jesus, as we said. Both end up asking Jesus about the destruction of Jerusalem in Mark 13, and according to apoc- apocryphal literature, which is doubtful, Peter died in in Rome around AD 67, and his wife, as a matter of fact, and he was crucified upside down at his request, according to tradition. Andrew is thought to have been crucified in Greece and uh, on, on a cross in the form of an X, because he didn't want to be crucified the same way Jesus was. These, these are nothing that's been, you can't collaborate it, but that's tradition. James and John, we just read, the sons of Zebedee, their mother was Salome. Many believe Salome was Mary's sister, uh, because at the end, standing before the cross you have Mary and the other one her sister we, many think that we're talking about uh, their mother <clears throat> they were successful fishermen as well Mark 3 we read that Jesus gives them the name Boanerges or translated sons of thunder interesting, interesting that the Lord will give them this name right may have been due to a fiery temper can you imagine an apostle having a fiery temper? Um, they asked to sit at Jesus' side in glory. Remember that? Mark 10. We'll actually read that eventually. Both were present after the resurrection. John is likely the disciple that Jesus loved, which we read about in, John, in the book of John. John often worked with Peter. James ended up being the first martyr from the apostles. And, of course, John wrote his gospel, three epistles, and the book of Revelation. According to apocryphal literature, Zebedee was a Levite, and his mother was from Judah, the tribe of Judah. Judah being the royal tribe, right? The tribe who Jesus came through. Remember how the royal scepter would never leave Judah? Judah. Sons of Thunder may have been given by Jesus because they were the son of a Levite and someone from Judah. So maybe they clash. Just spe- speculation, really. James joined John on missionary trips to India and Spain according to apocryphal li- literature. And we know John was on the Isle of Patmos. We can read that in Revelation. Many uh, tradition says he ended up being in Ephesus in his last days. Dying around 98 A.D. We don't know those things for sure, but here we have the first four disciples that Jesus recruited or gathered, right? These are the guys that are going to help him, are going to proclaim that gospel after his ascension, right? Are going to begin in the church as it's established preaching and proclaiming that kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about, Got a few more minutes. Go back to Mark 1. Let's read a few more verses here. Mark 1, uh, verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when he an unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee all right we are now getting into and now the rubber's meeting the road right we're getting into it we've had the preliminary steps john the baptist came his baptism his temptation his theme of reclaiming the kingdom of god and the call of the disciples now comes the nitty-gritty jesus starts teaching he's teaching in the synagogue we're still under the law of moses right And he's going from synagogue to synagogue. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Let's read a little more about that. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue, were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine what that sounded like to them? What? What? So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He amazed the people because he began to preach, and he taught as one having authority. Not like the scribes. The scribes would teach, but then they would always cite a famous rabbi or someone else who had that, quote, authority. They didn't have the authority. They are simply teaching or reading about what others had written. Jesus is speaking as if he's God. <laughs> and it turns out he was. Amazing the people. He spoke the way this way. Why? Because he could forgive sin. If he can forgive sin, he can speak with authority, right? Interesting concept. Not only that, we read here where he was casting out demons or unclean spirits. We even have one in the synagogue here who identifies him as the Son of God, the one of God. Can you imagine sitting in the synagogue and seeing that? What? Seeing somebody with an unclean spirit would scare me bad enough as it is. I can't imagine the rest of it. What were unclean spirits? Well, their origin is not clear. We don't have anything in Scripture that tells us what these are other than they're unclean spirits and they're possessing men, right? Some view them as... uh, spirits of wicked men Others might have said they were fallen angels whatever they were they existed and it's very true that they were there demonic activity in the Bible appears in waves, right and Especially when Jesus comes you read a lot about it Why is this well scripture doesn't tell us? Um, Maybe if these were fallen angels perhaps they were released temporarily to show that the kingdom had come. Interesting concept. Why do I say that? Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Let's read something the Lord said. Matthew chapter 12, and let's start in verse uh, 25. He says, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's dividing against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather me scatters abroad. Jesus says, these are happening because the kingdom has come. It was evident by his preaching and by the signs that he was performing. People in the synagogue were amazed. They wondered about this new doctrine. Who is this guy? He's the son of Joseph? What's he telling us? They understand he spoke and acted with authority. He's telling them that this prophecy in Isaiah is about me and he's also casting out demons. My goodness, what else could he do? That that would would do me in right there. Right? These people are amazed. And, well, yeah, he became pretty famous after that. And it's going to hinder him a little bit, and we'll read about that next week. All right. Hope you've enjoyed this today. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.